Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. Lucas McCabe's career as a treasure hunter, smuggler and tomb robber has put him on the wrong side of the law countless times. But his talents have attracted the attention of both the Guild and the Ten Thunders. In today's story, he meets yet another group who have use of his unique abilities. I hope you enjoy part one of Lost and Found, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Malifaux Exploration Society. We specialise in unravelling the lost mysteries of Malifaux and unearthing ancient relics. Our organisation is dedicated to shedding light on this world's secrets, opening locked doors and entering places where no human has ever set foot. Want to join us? Tough! If you're worthy of becoming a member, we'll find you. Lost and Found by N.A. Wolfe The Guild's Ministry of Antiquities thanks you for your service, Mr. McCabe, Procurator Campbell said as he eyed Lucas suspiciously through horn-rimmed spectacles. He picked up the crystalline statuette placed before him and weighed it in his leathery palms. The idol was sell handsomely. But as I understand, its acquisition was not without cost. The Procurator raised his thinning eyebrows. What happened to Edward? Edward was a valuable asset to my team, Lucas answered carefully. Unlike most guild officials, who usually espoused a blustering air of arrogance and incompetence, Campbell was keen, soft-spoken and pensive. That made him especially dangerous. Slate Ridge proved too much for him, and he passed in an avalanche on the way back. We never found his body. Your tomb leader never ceases to cost us, McCabe, Campbell responded as though the death of one of his men was of little consequence to him. But you always deliver, and so shall we. He retrieved a small pouch of soul stones and slid it across the desk. The satisfying jangling of the gems tinkled in Lucas' ears, and the treasure hunter exhaled an audible sigh of relief. The ruse had gone as well as he could have hoped. It was simple, really. Bring the treasure back, swap it with several highly detailed forgeries, sell the fakes to the guild or wealthy private collectors, and hand the original off to the Thunders. Squaring the circle had never been so easy. The template for the plan had been Karen's. Then before her death in Egypt, Lucas and his fiancée had executed it dozens of times for different employers. Oh, and one last thing, Campbell called. Lucas turned around, the smile still lingering on his lips. Suddenly Campbell's grin split into an even wider sneer. Are you sure Edward was caught in an avalanche? The procurator clapped his hands twice and Lucas was left agape as a third person bounded into the cramped office. Surprise! Edward shouted with unsettling glee, arms raised in the air. 
Oh, we're going to stick it to him now, aren't we, Pa? Shut up, you waste, Campbell barked, uncharacteristically stern. The young man immediately fell silent and clasped his hands awkwardly behind his back with a grumble. My son looks just fine to me. He slapped Edward across the face contemptuously, leaving a red flush on his cheek. Feels pretty real. Get a test it yourself, he sneered as the ruffian winced in pain. Lucas' eyes widened. He's your son. Shit. How had he not known? All this time. Lucas cursed to himself for allowing his apathy to lead to carelessness. The wiser part of him knew he would never learn. Edward told me everything, Campbell said, squinting at McCabe as he took off his glasses and polished them with a firm grip. You tried to use my boy as bait. I can't believe you're willing to let him die to save your sorry ass. That's right. Edward nodded his head approvingly, his arms folded in front of him. Shut up, boy, Campbell roared, flecks of spittle flying across his desk. The ruffian looked crestfallen. But pa... Campbell ploughed on. He really would have done us all a favour if he'd left him to die in the snow. But it turns out my boy had some brains and a smidgen of skill, don't you? We were being chased, Lucas said simply, abandoning any pretense. We needed to throw the damn beast off our trail, and this idiot is disposable. He glanced at Edward. Edward's eyes flickered excitedly as though he'd never been praised before. He nearly giggled. Idiot. I did good. Had a knife in my pocket and cut right through your ropes. You're not as dumb as you look, son. There's still hope for you yet, Campbell said darkly. He turned to Lucas. You know, I certainly don't object to your creativity. I for one appreciate how it never fails to bring us results. The procurator examined the idol again. Except that you haven't. He smashed the artifact on the floor. McCabe didn't flinch. We know it's a fake. I wouldn't have guessed, but one of Crid's researchers took a look at the thirsty glass fragments you brought back and found them unreactive to her spells. Then we started looking at everything else you've been dragging back over the past few months. For the first time in living memory, Lucas was at a loss for words. But the fact that he was still alive, and that Campbell didn't seem to know about his contact with Mizaki, was a good sign. It goes without saying that you're fired, the procurator finished bluntly. Hand over your badge, now. Two death marshals suddenly entered and flanked the entrance to the office preventing Lucas from leaving. Campbell was taking no chances. Do you really want to go through with this, gents? Lucas eyed them, hiding his nervousness with bravado. He could tell that they wanted to be here about as much as he did. Did Lady J put you up to this? She's always hated me. I shouldn't have told that joke about her being a sight for sore eyes at Hoffman's stupid dinner party, he mumbled. She took it personally, didn't she? Oh, yeah. One of the death marshals wryly replied. Leave, Campbell said to McCabe, then nodded at the death marshals. They stepped forward in response. I can still be useful to you. Imagine how difficult it would be to continue running the ministry without my contacts and experience. Why give all that up? McCabe asked incredulously as he fumbled in his satchel. Honestly, said Campbell grimly as he struck a match and lit a cigar, I'd rather not. Like I said, part of me wants to hand you over to an executioner, so I can personally watch as he disembowels you 
He licked his lips maliciously. But the other part of me appreciates the network of contacts you've built over the past few years. Whether the crap you peddle was real or not doesn't really matter. They all turned out to be valuable to the buyers anyways, he laughed. Sparing it seemed like a fair compromise, and Governor General Marlow agreed. The procurator blew several smoke rings nonchalantly and snatched Lupus badge away the moment he had retrieved it. Now get the hell out of my office. McCabe, still flabbergasted, made to depart. You'll regret this, he said plainly, without so much as a glance back. I'm sure I will, Campbell replied dryly. And McCabe, if I ever see you around the Enclave again, I'll have you killed. As the death marshals escorted him away, Lucas felt a pang of fear. The fact that he'd been dismissed hardly bothered him. The opinion of authority mattered less to him than anything else. But how could he now be useful to the Thunders without his connection to the Guild? Yamaziko's words rang in the back of his mind, reverberating with each of the seemingly final steps he took on the Enclave's polished floors. Serve us well, Lucas, or my mistress will crush you more than your precious pocket watch. After what felt like an eternity, the marshals finally reached the entrance to the Enclave and tossed him out of the front doors. Bastards, he spat, nearly supine on the ground. But they'd already slammed the iron doors behind them. Was that really necessary? He asked the unfeeling metal, trying to pick himself off the curb. Are you all right? A woman in a pale blue dress offered Lucas her hand. Long dark hair and a pair of dark spectacles covered most of her heart-shaped face. I'm fine, Lucas grunted as he pushed her hand away and rose to his feet. The stranger gave a soft chuckle. You won't be for long unless you can find another way to make yourself useful. You have one month before Lady Misaki forcefully renegotiates your terms of employment. Lucas' blood turned to ice as he did a double take. I'll make this right, he said. Tell the Oyaban I've already got another job lined up, I swear. He reached to grab her wrist, but like a phantom the woman disappeared, and his hand was left scrabbling at the empty air. He nervously glanced from side to side, trying to hide his panic. Was he being watched? Did the Thunders already have other agents inside the guild besides him? How useful was he to them now? There was only one thing left to do now. It was time for a drink. Lucas McCabe took a sip of his old-fashioned and smiled sardonically, twirling the lonely ice cube inside with the tip of a toothpick. Hell of a drink, Sadir, he said ruefully, for a hell of a day. As usual, Sadir Alchipel scowled and eyed the brown liquid with disdain. This is beneath you, he spat, as if the blend of liquor and bitters was a toxic sludge. I did not swear life debt to a wimp. The bodyguard had recently shaped his beard, trimmed his hair, and exchanged his cream-coloured robes for a dark three-piece suit. Although he looked much more kempt, his eyes conveyed the same unsettling thirst for violence that had drawn Lucas to him when they first shared a jail cell in Cairo all those years ago. Sadia's favourite blade still hung from his hip, nestled within its scabbard. I'm going to die anyway, replied Lucas impishly. What the hell, right? I've always wondered what these taste like. 
Not sure how I feel about cutting the whiskey yet. Stop moping, Siddiqui, Sadir answered curtly. I didn't offer to meet you so you could whine like an injured pup. Watch yourself, McCabe warned, slamming the bar top with his fist. You owe your life to me, not the other way around. Sadir almost smirked. That's better. He thumbed the pommel of his blade with a loving caress. I wanted to tell you that some strangers with a unique employment opportunity reached out to me about securing our services today. Oh? asked Lucas, putting down his drink. What do they want? They have a mission they'd like to discuss with you in private. Then why the hell are you here? Sadir looked pointedly at the bartender, who disappeared into the cloakroom. They have a unique and somewhat theatrical plan of getting in touch. I'm just here to make sure they keep their word not to harm you. He paused for a moment, before looking directly into McCabe's eyes. You must trust me. Lucas looked back at Sadir quizzically, but before he could respond, a black hood was thrust over his head, and a pair of strong, firm hands shoved him unceremoniously out of the bar. Sadir, you double-crossing ass. I thought you had my back. Who put you up to this? Lucas asked impatiently. His hands held forcibly behind his back. Ivan, is that you? I swear to God, you stupid son of a bitch, I would never cheat you. Those Fabergé eggs were made from real soul stone. Lucas was surprised to hear laughter as his arms were released and the hood pulled up from his head. He found himself facing three figures. The first was the fattest man he had ever seen. Seated next to him, also across from Lucas, was an elderly hawk-eyed lady who was a head taller and a quarter of the girth of her companion. Finally, to Lucas' immediate left was a muscular young woman with tanned skin, long brown hair, and a mysterious smile. She had been the one pinning his arms. Mr. McCabe! The fat man reached out for Lucas' hand and shook it eagerly. His porky jowls quivered as he spoke, flapping like the drooping skin of a basset hound. In moment, if you please. Where's Sadir? Lucas demanded. I'll kill him. Relax, Mr. McCabe. He's up front with our driver. And making him very uncomfortable from the looks of it, he answered with a nervous puff. Your man doesn't like to smile, does he? It took Lucas several seconds to register that he was not in danger. This was the first time a hood had been pulled off his head and he was not facing the barrel of a gun or the blade of a knife. Instead, he found himself inside one of the most lavish coaches he had ever seen. Rich, luxurious velvet upholstered the seats, each studded with golden tacks and silver buttons. The cherrywood parquet floor was inlaid with intricate designs, which complemented those etched into the ceiling. All of the wealth was intoxicating. Hell of an entrance, Lucas grumbled, trying to hide his own excitement. Don't you people know how to say hello? Or do you not follow the rules of being a person? Sorry, said the younger, brawny woman seated to his left. She offered a guilty smile. We couldn't risk an open meeting now that your name's mud with the guild. Her voice had a faint, honeyed twang, 
They're watching you. And if they see you, they'll see us. Ludwig will explain. I'm Jesse, by the way. Jesse Halliday. She shook his hand. My name is Ludwig von Clausewitz, the large man offered. I'm one of the overseers of the Malifaux Exploration Society. He pointed at the elderly woman to his left. And this is Gretchen Janus. She's also an overseer and a chairwoman of our board. The woman remained emotionless, but she continued to stare at Lucas with her beady eyes, her iris as black as coal. Never heard of you. That's good to hear, Ludwig answered approvingly. While not totally secret, the MES is, well, somewhat discreet. If Campbell in the Ministry ever knew that there was another organization breachside with, shall I say, an acute interest in the history of this world and its relation to our own, they might not take kindly to unsanctioned competition. By day, I'm a guild executive, but by night, the MES is my mistress project. He whispered with a little giggle. Gross, Lucas interjected. We have a new employment opportunity, and if my informants are correct, you are very much in need, Ludwig finished. Lucas rolled his eyes. Was he the only one who hadn't seen his firing coming? There are plenty of ways for a man like me to earn his script. He had to fight even harder to contain his excitement and eyed the contents of the carriage again. Yes, yes, said Ludwig impatiently. But what's the point of making a living in the first place if you never really feel alive while doing it? I know your reputation, Mr. McCabe. For you, it's not about the relics. It's about the sport. What I'm offering you is a limitless, endless hunt. He gazed hungrily into the distance at the very thought like Luna drooling over a steak on the kitchen counter beyond her paw's reach. Lucas raised his eyebrows doubtfully. As I'm sure you've already guessed, the MES is dedicated to exploring the unexplored, continued Ludwig. While the guild obviously has considerable interest in understanding the history of this world, they are more interested in profit than truth. We are driven by an unquenchable thirst to peruse the unknown, to uncover the lost, and to bring the dead to life. Lucas reached for a carafe of brandy in the compartment next to him and poured himself a glass. You heard about people like you in London, he began. The Royal Society of Explorers, the Cartographers Guild, the United Pioneers League. They all said the same things about Amazonia and Africa. In the deepest crevices of the world, they hoped to find the cradles of a civilization lost in some godforsaken jungle. He waved his hands mockingly at these last words and then drained the remainder of his glass. And do you know what happened to all of those expeditionaries? The poor sods wandered off and disappeared, never to be seen again. It was a complete waste. Not one of them ever found anything or even learned basic jungle survival skills, judging from their appalling success rate. Lucas continued. What makes you lot so different? He pointed at Ludwig. Do you really think you can survive the uncharted parts of Malifaux? Jesse laughed nervously at the affronted expression on Ludwig's crestfallen face, and even Gretchen smiled. I don't know what you want from me, 
but you can be sure as hell I'm not putting my life on the line for some cock and bull. I don't care about myths and ideology. I like treasure. Treasure that I know exists, and that I know I can find. The more challenging, the better. But I don't chase ghosts in the unknown. He put his glass down. Gretchen clapped her hands together slowly. Very good, Mr. McCabe. You're asking all the right questions. You're correct to be so frank. Indeed, what's different isn't us. It's the world we live in. Her voice was curt and cold, but even her severe demeanour couldn't cloak her eagerness. Malifaux is not Earth. Her secrets make the darkest corners of our world seem unremarkable. Tell me, have you ever heard of the tyrants? Lucas' ears perked up, and he nodded his head. Now this was interesting. He shot her a close glance. What do you know about them, lady? Only that they're the most powerful beings in this world and the next, Gretchen explained. Imagine the possibilities. What we as humanity could learn by unlocking the secrets of their power. Her nonchalance melted away, and Lucas saw a fiery passion burning behind her heavy mascara-lined eyelids. What Ludwig neglected to mention is that we do not shoot random darts in the dark like those pompous fools from the King's Empire. Nor are we driven by idiotic colonialist notions of duties to bring civilization to the uncultured. She scoffed. No, we're not like Trevelyan Livingstone or Broads. We are on the trail of the tyrants themselves, and we are tracking them closely. People of considerable means like us do not rely on blind intelligence. There are reliable rumours of a secret entrance to the sunken city built by the tyrants and lost beneath the bayou. We want you to lead an expedition to find it. With MES agents at your side, of course. She crossed her legs. How would you like to be one of the first men in history to step inside? Lucas sneered. Just how crazy were these people? This seemed like a suicide mission. The idea itself was ridiculous. A secret entrance. But all rumours were based on a shred of truth, no matter how small. Information about the entrance to a lost tyrant city, not to mention the rare artefacts inside, would surely be useful to Mizaki. Perhaps even useful enough to curb her wrath. It took all of Lucas' limited self-control to dismiss his cynicism before he said, Assuming your intel is reliable, I'm in. With compensation, of course. That's it? Gretchen asked. You seemed rather quick to make up your mind for a man whose body language suggests nothing but disdain. What can I say? I'm bored. Lucas pretended to yawn, but he knew Gretchen didn't fall for the act. Does your definition of bored mean you don't have any other option? She pressed doubtfully. Her thin mouth twitched, but she didn't smile. It seemed like moving the corners of her mouth more than once a day was physically taxing. Instead, the woman kept her beady stare on Lucas like a hawk eyeing its lunch. It seems like we sought you at a good time. A shiver ran down Lucas' spine. She couldn't know about Mizaki, could she? Her next words gave him no more time to consider the probability. You may keep 20% of what you find chosen at our discretion. This seems more than fair considering most of the goods should be displayed in a museum, no? 33 said Lucas disdainfully. 
That first offer was right insulting. Twenty-five, she counted, and nothing more. Fine, twenty-five, he concluded for appearance sake. It didn't matter either way. He would find a way to take it all. And if there's only crappy pottery shards, you'll pay me in scrip. Deal, Gretchen whistled. She extended her hand. And one last condition, Gretchen, Lucas proposed, his face dead serious. Gretchen raised her thinly penciled eyebrows. She seemed affronted that the stranger dared address her by name. Jesse comes with me. This one's got Moxie, Ludwig chuckled. I like him. Or he's a pig, Jesse rolled her eyes. Who do you think did all the research? Without me, you wouldn't last a day out there, she snorted. Pack your things, Gretchen said, still scowling as Lucas finally shook her hand and the carriage ground to a halt. You and Mr. Alchibald leave for the bayou in two days with Jessie and her team. A courier will be in touch with the details. Lucas nodded. Oh, she added. If your expedition succeeds, I see great possibilities awaiting you in the future of our organization. Do not prove me wrong. She gave a quick, mirthless laugh as Jessie pushed Lucas out of the door. Their final words rang in his ears once again. He felt a strange sensation that he had never quite experienced before. What? Sidir asked testily, hopping out from the front of the coach, clearly disappointed that there was not an excuse to fight. Nothing, Lucas nonchalantly murmured, fighting to hide the slight spring in his step. I can't believe you talked me into this, Sidir complained to Lucas as he cleaned goopy insect blood from his blade. The satisfying squelch of macheting a mosquito the size of a plum was far less amusing after the dozenth time. I can't believe you let them put a bag over my head, replied Lucas, with a grimace as he wiped away the sweat beading on his brow. From the prow of the M.E.S. Surefoot, he looked out at nothing but miles of putrid bog shimmering in the humid morning breeze. For nearly two weeks... Lucas and an intrepid team of explorers had followed the bayou charts given to them by the society overseers. In that time, they had found nothing. The ruins of the sunken city protruded from the water like jagged teeth in the jaws of a great beast, but the hidden entrance, if one even existed, remained as elusive as ever. His time was running out. I don't understand what we're missing, Jessie mused. Teeth clamped around the cap of her pen well-worn from pensive chewing. Maybe the cartographers were wrong. A lifetime of research had taught Jessie to be sceptical of everything, even her own conclusions. She had originally begun her career as a botanist in the Bayou Traders' Village of Frontier Point, where she dedicated her life to researching the flora and fauna of the marsh. After serendipitously saving the outpost from a titanic duel between a very drunk Silurid and a whiskey golem brought to life by vengeful gremlins, she'd caught the inescapable thirst for adventure. Thereafter discontent with living in a lab, Jessie became a freelancer for the MES. The board had found her connections amongst both scholars and pioneers most useful, especially in their efforts to map the bayou. Over the years, the young woman had not only become a consummate field researcher, but also a respectable marksman with her trusty rifle. This doesn't make any sense, she mumbled 
spitting out the pen cap with a grimace. There doesn't seem to be any charted superstructure suggesting the presence of an entrance below. Maybe you're reading the map wrong, Lucas joked. Have you tried flipping it the other way around? Don't be an idiot, she said, punching him in the arm. I gathered the data that contributed to these charts myself. I know how to read them. Then why are we stuck? Lucas retorted sourly. Locating Lunar, she growled in frustration. Ludwig should have taken his plan and shoved it right up his fat... Jessie rolled her eyes. We've got a job to do, and we're not going back to the overseers until we finish. For a fraction of a second, Lucas thought he sensed the faintest hint of fear behind her eyes. She masked herself by casting a fiery scowl in Lucas' direction, before returning to her documents, cutting the long blonde locks stuck to her sweaty forehead and wrinkling her nose against the sulfuric tang of the swirling waters. The entrance to this goddamn city is out there, and I want to be one of the first to find it. We've known each other for two weeks, and you still don't like me very much, do you, honey? Lucas mused, almost disappointed. He eyed her slim figure and resisted the temptation to lick his lips. She was pretty. Not as pretty as Karen, but her tight denim pants distractingly accentuated the voluptuous curves of her slender hips. Jessie chuckled. I think I'd like your life better if you'd stop staring at my ass. She reached for the rifle strapped to her back. I haven't fired this since we ran into that pack of gators two nights ago. Think I might need to test it again. She pulled the bolt back casually with a dramatic click. The other MES expeditionaries looked up from their work, and the boat's captain dropped the mooring rope he'd just started rolling around his wrist. Forget I said anything, Lucas mumbled morosely. Get back to your work, you lot, Lucas commanded, and the rest of the crew began scurrying as they had been before. Jessie shouldered her rifle and folded a section of the map for Lucas to read in one hand while scratching Luna affectionately between her ears with the other. The dog let out a satisfied huff. This quadrant here. I think we should return for another look. She circled a few darkly shaded blotches on the accompanying topography report. These features might be anomalies. It was stupid of me to dismiss them as geological clusters during our first two sweeps. Maybe they're ruins after all. We'll have to dig a bit to find them, though. She shouted toward the captain's cabin. Did you hear that? The captain gave a whistle and redirected the boat according to Jesse's coordinates. Yeah, all right, said Lucas with an ingratiating nod. You do that. After several terse minutes, it again struck him how ridiculous the whole mission seemed. Finding a needle in a haystack was dumb, and this was exponentially dumber, since the whole of the bayou was just a bigger, filthier haystack, filled with gremlins, gators, flesh-eating plants, and worse. What intrepid little explorers they all were, lost in the middle of this interminable swamp. We can't waste any more time than we already have, he conceded. I think. Unexpectedly, the boat came to a halt. If we move forward any further towards those coordinates, we might rupture our hull. Seems like you were right, ma'am, the captain shouted to Jesse. The Vox pulses suggest there's something down there. A structure by the looks of it. Jesse's eyes lit up. Get the divers ready. 
I want an excavation team down there immediately. At Okamon, three members of the crew ran to the Shurfoot's cabin and returned with as many bronze helmets, each attached to hoses made out of a waxed waterproof fabric that all ran back into the center of the ship. Ready to descend, she asked them, as she passed each man a loaded spear gun. Each projectile was tipped with a sharp, jagged arrowhead, and the MES sigil was proudly etched in gold into each shaft. The men checked their gear, tested their helmet ventilation systems, and then flipped the power dials on their weapons. The spear guns hummed to life with an ominous buzzing as the divers nodded and lowered themselves into the murky waters. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for the conclusion of Lost and Found. <laughs>